Welcome to the Adventure Life Podcast, where we are finding adventure in the God of every day. And now your host, Will Ratcliffe. Well, welcome to the Adventure Life Podcast, everyone. I'm Will Ratliff, and I'm glad you're here. I mentioned last week that my wife had surgery, has been laid up for the last week or so. She's getting a lot better, still slow going, much slower than she'd like. She's used to going pretty much nonstop. It's been, it's been hard on her, but she's been doing well. Definitely gives me an appreciation for my health and my wife's health. I know this situation is one that other people have learned to navigate on a daily basis, whether a spouse or child, and learn to embrace life and different kinds of ability and all that goes with that. And so it definitely makes me admire those people more and definitely makes us appreciate you know, when we, when we are healthy in those times. I'm also grateful for our friends and a community of support that has prayed for us, made, made meals, checked on us. We're so blessed to have friends who will support us in those ways. So as I was thinking about this week's podcast and what to talk about, so this idea of living as community really began to take shape as I thought about, you know, not only the kind of support that we have, but also began to think about the kind of community that I desired would love to help facilitate and invite others into. You know, for me, there's, there's little difference in living as community and living as the church. You know, I believe they're one and the same. As believers, we see this example of the kind of life in the lives of the first Christian, of, of this kind of life. If you read the book of Acts, you see that early believers were meeting in each other's homes. They were living life together and doing life together. There wasn't concern about programming services, you know, the way we know them or what to do with kids, teens, or different age groups. They were all together. They met in different homes and did life together. And I'm sure they ate meals together, talked about Jesus, experienced life, and even death together. You know, this was during the Roman occupation. The Romans weren't known to be the friendliest or the most peaceful. Um... But you see this life in the life, you know, of those new believers of, of sharing life and doing life together. So I've been in, on staff at three different churches. Two of those have been mega churches, and I, I don't say that to brag. Uh, one church in particular was quite large. When I started working there as a church I worked at in Phoenix, um, attendance was over 6,000 people. And in the two years that I was there, it had grown to over 9,000 people. When, when we first got there, there were six services on the weekend, plus we were expected to be a part of a small group. And like I said, I only lasted a couple of years there. It was one of those churches that tended to kind of chew, chew their staff up and spit them out, and there were some great people there, too. But the whole focus of the church was on growth and excellence, and you could really see that. And, that, you know, that's okay for the corporate world, but that's tough when it comes to the ministry. And, and even when you have a pastor's heart, for me, that was really the beginning of the end of my ministry career, though I didn't really know it at the time. And really from then on, because of that experience, and I saw you know friends and others come and go from that church as well in a very short amount of time, you know, it's just the nature of that kind of organization. It becomes this machine. And I don't look back and blame anyone, but it's just how those things often go, especially the bigger the church gets, the more and more it starts looking like a corporation and less like a community. You add things to try and make up for it, but even then, those things typically get controlled. You have thousands and thousands of people moving in, in the direction that is typically dictated by one person or a small group of people. And we'll talk about, you know, that's probably going to be a dis- discussion for another day, but it, it really limits the participation of the community in the direction of where God wants to move and what asks each individual to move or even a small group of people to move. And you may be asking, well, what about small groups? Does that serve a community aspect within a larger congregation? And that's 
that's what this larger church did too. And a lot, a lot of larger churches do that. And I, I would say it depends. We often try to force people together who don't know each other and probably wouldn't have met each other except in the small group environment. So this group is essentially forced together. And it could be the makings of new friendships and new relationships. Okay, I'm not doubting that or denying that. But it could also be really awkward and forced. Um, you know, and I, I know from experience, I used to be a you know proponent of small groups and doing small groups this way, but I'm not any longer, mostly because the results are so hit or miss. And if you've ever been involved in a small group, more than likely, you know what I mean. So for most of these groups as well, there's this unwritten rule of the eternal calendar, I'll say. Once you start meeting together, you keep meeting until either everyone moves, dies, or until Jesus comes back. One that's an unrealistic expectation and that's really not the way that life works. And, you know, people do move and things happen. Not everyone connects in the same way. And yet many times you're, expect, you're expected to, especially if you're the leader of one of these groups. I've been in groups that have gone really well and have enjoyed it. And I've enjoyed it immensely. I've been, you know, part of groups where you can't wait to get out of, out of there. Uh, when I was a pastor, you know, there's always also this expectation that not only did you lead a group, but then you also had to be a part of a group where a lot of the time, you know, people look to you to have answers or be the leader when you just kind of wanted to sit back and, and be a participant. So, you know, now I would say I prefer a more natural way of living as community to approach relationships more, more naturally. I used to think that I was supposed to, you know, force myself to like people and connect with people, all this, you know, everyone all the same. But I see that was an unrealistic expectation I was imposing on myself. So yeah, we're called to love people, friends, enemies, everyone, but we can't do that on our own. And we can pretend for a while, but eventually the truth will come out, we'll vent or explode, or, you know, somehow our true feelings will slip, probably to those closest to us. And all the while we're trying to make nice with those people. No, we'd rather not be around. So, and I'm also not saying that we simply gather with those we like and who are just like us. You know, I'm all about God moving me and you outside our comfort zones. I think he does it quite often, but I also think there's value and you know, nothing wrong with gathering with those people you like and with whom you feel you have connections and can build true friendships and relationships. You know, and we need those. My wife and I have talked more this season than any other, uh, you know, just that we were, we were created for community. And this season with COVID has made that immensely more difficult and to us immensely more evident that that's, you know, that we're just made to be with each other and to be around other people. My wife and daughter are both very social people. I am too, but my wife was like, she was created to be with people a lot. And my daughter is an off the charts people person. Um, it's on a regular basis that we'll ask my daughter where she's going and she'll say, I'm going to hang out with so-and-so. My wife and I will look at each other and say, who's that? How do you know them? She'll reply, oh, you don't know them, but I know them from school or church, what it, you know, et cetera. And we'll just smile at each other, shake our heads like, here we go again. You know, another friend that we don't know that, that our daughter's connected with and going to hang out with. But, and I, you know, I can hang by myself for a little while and I don't mind quiet and being alone, but even this pandemic has made me crave even more community. And, you know, like I mentioned, I've been in quarantine for the last three weeks and it's, oh, I've gotten so restless. It really started getting to me. It didn't help that we had one of our biggest snowstorms and cold spells that we've had in a long time, colder than I can ever remember. So even though I wanted to get out and go for a walk, it was difficult. And, you know, one night we had, this when we had our, the worst snow that we were having during that storm, I just had to get out. And so I was about to go bonkers. So I ended up taking our dog for a walk in the dark during the snowstorm. 
with several inches of snow on the ground, snow coming down. I'm sure if people walked, you know, looked outside, they were like, what is that crazy person doing? But, you know, it just, it just got to me. I had to get out. Um, you know, there may be seasons, though, where we have a hard time finding community. I think sometimes this is because we want people to be exactly where we are, to be on the same page, to be like-minded, so that makes it difficult. We put these expectations on people that are unfair. I know because I've done it. Uh, going back to the small group example, you know, there could be these unwritten rules of conformity. You have to act like this, think like this, do these things to be accepted here and to be thought of well or to be thought well you know, in, the, in this community. So religion is conformity-based and encourages those kinds of things. Think a certain way, act a certain way, believe a certain way. It's, it's a package deal. And when you think differently, act differently, or by gosh, don't you dare ask questions or express doubts. And there, you know, there are ways of shutting you, shutting you up, keeping you quiet, or else shutting you out. Uh, you know, but this way of freedom, this adventure life that we're talking about, it's, it's full of questions, it's full of doubts, but it's also, it's, it's a space where you're free to express those because others know, if they're honest with themselves, that everyone has questions, has doubts, and doesn't know everything. And this kind of community that I'm talking about welcomes those questions, welcomes, you know, the doubts, and is not, is not threatened by those things. You know, in fact, the further I get down this adventure life road, the less certain I am about a lot of things, and the, you know, the more questions I have. So I have a friend that often uses the scripture from 1 Corinthians about how we see in a glass or mirror, though dimly. We don't see anything perfectly, and there are things that may always be changing about our faith. In fact, if we're growing, then things are constantly moving and shifting, and we're changing our view on things. That verse literally means that we are in an, ex- we are in an experience like a riddle. So if you think about a riddle, you only get some of the information, and even that's cryptic intentionally. And I don't think God is intentionally cryptic, but I do think his understanding is beyond mine. It's beyond yours. His perspective is way beyond mine and yours. There may be things that he keeps from us intentionally, but there's probably a reason for that. And there may be things that we just don't see because it's hard for us to see things from his vantage point or perspective. And even if we did, could we even comprehend or understand it? Would we understand what we're doing in the moment and where he has us in the moment? You know, probably not. But we might be able to understand down the road as we look back. So when we're a part of community, we get various pieces of that puzzle and that riddle. And we get to see God from different perspectives. And we see each other from different perspectives as we begin to share our different perspectives of God with each other. So we're able to share those, share our experience of God with each other, what we see, how we see the different parts of the riddle we're all experiencing. Do we give insight to each other if we can listen and receive those different perspectives. I think this is why it's important that we connect with who we gather with. I don't know if that makes sense, but that, you know, that we can really connect with those people that we gather with so we can build that trust, be able to go deep at times to receive what God has for us and to learn to listen to each other on those different perspectives. I read this book last year that I would highly recommend to you. It's called Bo's Cafe. It's by three guys uh, John Lynch is one of those, and off the top of my head, I cannot remember the other two. Um, but if you look it up, you, you can you know Google it or look at Amazon. It's available in the Amazon called Bose Cafe, B-O apostrophe S Cafe. Look up Bose Cafe, John Lynch, and then you'll you'll get there. So this book, as well as one by Wayne Jacobson, have probably impacted my views on community more than any others in the last decade, and maybe my lifetime. So Bo's Cafe, it's a story about a corporate executive who's in a crisis. 
he's moving up as an, in his company, but he has he's having some personal issues with his wife, his daughter, his family. Uh, he's more interested in his career than his family, and he's not so nice to his family, especially his wife. Uh, and then his world starts imploding around him. So during all of this, he runs into an old friend of his family named Andy. He starts inviting him to meet with this very eclectic, very diverse group who meets at this kind of wharfside restaurant called Bo's Cafe. And it's in the process of these relationships that it begins to be transformed. And I say begins to be because, spoiler alert, okay, all of his problems aren't resolved by the end of the book. They're better, but he doesn't go to Bo's Cafe, become part of a small group, and voila, he's instantly transformed. But that's real life, though, isn't it? The issue with religion and conformity is that if you really want to be accepted, which most of us do, you have to either conform or pretend to conform, and in doing so, you really hide your true self, whether it's doubts or questions, struggles and challenges. You have to pretend to be the person that will be accepted. And it's so draining. It's just, you know, it's it's exhausting. I know because I've been that person, and there are times that I still struggle to not be that person, that person who conforms because I will be accepted. I feel it's better but has not come without having to give some things up and without, you know, my own personal loss. To me, one of the most impactful things about the book is how it portrays community. It's not forced and it's not something you have to pretend to be somebody you're not. It's real and raw and there are ups and downs. It's not perfect by any means, but there's not this expectation that Stephen, who's the main character in the book, conforms to this group. They love him and accept him as he is, yet they challenge him to be better and to make choices that are good for him and his family, regardless of how that impacts his career trajectory, because they know know the truth. They know what's real and what is going to be lasting. And here's the thing about most small groups, Sunday school classes or even accountability groups. Even if you connect with people in the group, it doesn't mean you'll feel comfortable enough to share what's really going on. And even if you do, the likelihood of continued acceptance may be questionable, even if it's in your own mind. When I picture community, it's the kind of community that I've I've rarely seen. It's a safe place, but it's also challenging and transforming. It's best summed up, I think, by one of the guys that Stephen meets at Bo's Cafe, this pastor named Carlos. So this is the second time that Stephen's visiting this place, and he's frustrated. He wants answers and solutions to his problems, but his friend Andy's not giving him, you know, or giving them quickly, as quickly as he would like. He doesn't want to enter into the messiness of community or relationship. He thinks he knows what a safe place means, but he really just wants a technique or principle he can apply to make his world line back up, to make these problems go away. His family get back together. You know, at this point, he's separated with, from his wife because his wife is tired of the way that he berates her when they begin to argue. He doesn't want to get to the root of the issue. He just wants a quick fix. So Carlos gives him some tough love. See, man, if safe is just nice and sweet, where everybody's smiling at you and nobody's ever dealing with nothing, that's not safe. That's a retirement home. I like nice, but nice ain't enough for safe. A safe place isn't a soft place. Safe is a place where you can get out the worst about you and they don't run you off, talk you down, or head for the hills. It's having someone to stand with you when you start You start to face the shameful stuff, man. It's where you can be a jerk and still have a place at the table the next day, where you don't have to hide or fake or pretend or bluff. Safe is being loved more for revealing your crap, not less. Safe is not having to man up or be coerced to get real or none of that nonsense. See, the deal isn't being able to just let everybody hear your garbage. Who wants that? Who needs that? I can get that in my own head. 
Safe is where I can tell you my garbage so you can enter in and stand with me in the solution of it. That's safe, man. That's what a safe community looks like. And I have to tell you, that's that that's the end of the story, actually. Um, I don't understand it fully. I've seldom been a part of a community like that, and yet that's what my soul longs to be a part of. Not just coming in and out of a building once a week. And I would bet, if you're listening to this, that you long for that kind of community as well. Maybe no one's ever expressed it quite like that. But to be known and fully loved even because of your garbage. You know, as Carlos said, safe is where I can tell you my garbage so you can enter in and stand with me in the solution of it. That's safe. Man, that's com- that's community. That's the kind of community I would love to experience. It's where I can tell you my garbage and you can enter in and stand with me in the solution of it to get to the root of it, figure out what's going on and how to move forward together together as friends and as people that care about each other. And that's the kind of community that's transforming. And I would dare say that is the only kind of community that is capable of being transforming. There's no pretense, and yet it's the safest environment you could be in. People are encouraged and willing to drop their masks and be their true self. When I was a pastor, we talked a lot about community. I read books on it and studied it, and that seems almost ludicrous to me now. You know, I've read books on how to form different kinds of small groups and community groups. You might imagine that there are as many ideas on how to do this as there are authors who write about it, and you would be right. And everyone was certain that their way was the way, the right way. Now as I think about the community that I just described and the kind of community that I would want to be a part of, my thoughts even then now start to turn towards asking those old questions. How do you create something like that? How do you pull something like that off? And I think the question is the very problem. The fact that I even seek to create it says that I don't think I know anything about that kind of community, when in fact I am already a part of that that kind of community in Christ. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit beckon me to live in that space, the space where they have already accepted me and washed me clean. They see me as holy and a constant part of their family, their community. They invite me into their life, the divine life, according to 2 Peter, and have already given me everything I need for life and godliness by knowing Him. As I grow in that life, in the life that's constantly inviting me into the light and to participate more and more in the life they give, I'm able to invite others into that space as well. For too long, I've reduced it down to techniques and how-tos and other things that I thought it was supposed to be and ways in which I'm supposed to create this atmosphere of belonging. But I can't create a community of belonging without first acknowledging my need to belong and the space in which I already belong. And this is a space where we find our identity and we begin to move and remove our masks bit by bit at first, but then more and more as we learn to grow in our true identity, the one we begin to see as we taste the divine life and are exposed more and more to the light. When I was a pastor, you would hear about people leaving a congregation or switching to a different building because they wanted more depth. I wonder if this is what people are really longing for, maybe without even realizing it, or the people who leave a larger size gathering to go to smaller ones. People want to be known. There are times you just want to be a face in a crowd, and I get it, but not for the long haul. At the end of the day, you want someone to know you and love you and accept you for who you are. And again, to know your garbage and to love you, not in spite of it, but because of it. And if there were a group of people that could learn to do that, to love each other and share light with each other as we receive it from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, well, then you'd have a very powerful community right there. And it's one that lends itself to a smaller size, doesn't it? 
you can't have thousands and thousands of people who meet together and really get that kind of connection. It just, it's not going to happen. Nothing wrong with a large gathering, but there, you know, there are those downsides. I also think that's why, you know, that's why larger churches try and form smaller groups. People know it deep down. Pastors know people need connection. It doesn't happen in the large services. But then there are also, depending on the leadership, strict controls. Who's in and who's out? Who's leading and what are you, what are you studying? How will we form these groups? And on and on and on. And that's, you know, that stifles the life of the group because then how do people learn to hear from God together and find where he's leading and directing them to go as a group? How do they learn to live by his life and respond to his light in themselves and each other if someone else is calling all the shots? And think about the kind of community I'm talking about. There's a reason this podcast is titled Living as Community and not Living in Community. I think most of us live in community, or at least a form of it. I think few of us live as community, as the church. This kind of community functions as that safe space I described earlier. It functions as as the church. I'm not talking about the brick-and-mortar building. That's not the church. That's just a meeting space. And much of what goes on in that meeting space is not true community. Community happens outside that space and apart from that space, it can certainly happen in that space, but it's not that kind of safe space for the vast majority of people who attend there. And yet I know leaders and pastors who desire the kind of community that I'm talking about and probably wonder why it remains so elusive. And I think the answer goes back to that question I talked about earlier. That we want to create that kind of space and be able to control and direct it. And it's exactly those things that will keep a kind of community like that from flourishing. Because the Lord knows I have tried. I believe Father is showing me that this community happens by invitation. First, he invites us into the divine community. And as I learn to live within that divine space, then I can begin inviting others into it. As Father begins to reveal his divine image in me and works to unravel and heal the things that are broken in me. As I learn to accept the grace and love he gives, then and only then will I be able to extend that love towards others and begin to invite others into a similar space where we begin to live as community, as the church, with each other. Until next week, grace and peace, my friends, and enjoy the journey.